Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome back to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative with additional support from the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. I say welcome back because if you're tuning in for this podcast, that probably means you tuned in for our last podcast. It was part one of this conversation with Ken Rulin of Rulin Enterprises and Keith Burns of Green Cover Seed in Nebraska, where we discuss what does the conversation sound like with your ag lender when you're talking about soil health expenses and talking about some of the economic returns of these soil health practices as well. And if you recall from that last podcast, Ken told us, before you take it to your ag lender, you need to believe in it yourself and you need to have a plan. I think when you, again, present this as a plan to the lender, right? We, we, okay, we know we have erosion and it's huge in the Eastern Corn Belt. So this is how we're going to try to address that. And by addressing that, we're going to have to spend less for phosphorus. We're going to get higher bean yields kind of out of the chute. And we're not going to make a huge mistake, right? I mean, yellow corn in June is a huge mistake. It's not really the fault of the cover crop or the no-till. It's the fault of the management of the system. And so we, and we make those mistakes. Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> our, our biggest yield restraint still this year is operator error. <laughs> so I mean, that's just the way farming is, right? So. Yeah, Ken, I love what uh, Steve Groff says about cover crops. He says they'll they'll make a good farmer better and a bad farmer worse. <laughs> and, and 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 that's because it's all about that extra management. Are are you a good enough manager to apply these principles of soil health? These principles that you know are demonstrated again and again, you know, throughout nature and in natural and native systems. Can you apply those to your farming operation? And the ones that can figure out how to do that. Could drastically reduce their inputs and increase their profitability. I, I want to go. You were you were talking about you know the value of of the carbon and the value of of that topsoil and organic matter. Um, I came across some research the other day. Uh, Jim Horman uh, did this out of Ohio State University, uh, it, and this is just it's it's really good information. Basically, just strictly the nutrient value of soil organic matter. Not not talking about any of the other benefits of soil organic matter just simply the market value of the nutrients in that is $465 per 1% of soil organic matter, $465. So if you can increase your soil organic matter by a 10th of a percent, which in, in a proper system, you can do that. You can increase a 10th of a percent per year. You know, that's $46 of increased nutrients right there. And then he, he, the other part of the study that he had talked about the water holding capacity value of an extra percent. Because for every percent of organic matter, we get an additional 25,000 gallons of water storage. And again, if, you, if it doesn't rain, you can't store it. But, but most times our droughts aren't caused by lack of rain. It's caused by, by lack of catching and keeping the rains that you do get. So the calculations that they did there for every 1% of soil organic matter, 
you get that extra water holding capacity for corn that equated to seven bushels yield for wheat, six bushels, and for canola, four bushels. So all of those, you know, 25 to $30 of additional income, just simply because you can hold more water and have that available when you need it. So, you know, if you start looking at those numbers, uh, again, those are things that you're not going to necessarily realize that first year, but those are the things that your banker needs to, you know, th those aren't things that necessarily go on an income statement, but they should definitely go on a balance sheet because it's contributing to the overall value of your operation. And then once you start building them up, now they start, just like any investment, they start paying a return or a dividend every year. Because now when I've got that, you know, I, we've, we've, we've increased our organic matter levels when we started no-tilling and doing cover crops from about, you know, 1.6, 1.7, you know, to our farm average now is probably 3.2. You know, we've kind of doubled in about 20 years. That's uh, a little less than a tenth of a percent a year, but it's it's not far off that. So we've added a tremendous amount of value to our soils uh, because of that organic matter. And now we reap the benefits of that every year. Yeah, Eric, just to kind of go with what Keith was talking about there, you know, we've been doing one acre grid soil sampling and management for uh, over 25 years now. So we've got a, a pretty darn intensive database on, you know, uh, pushing six, 7,000 acres and um, however many hundred thousand soil probes that is, but uh, when you when you look at that, the organic matter increases. We're only averaging about a uh, half a tenth of percent a year. Um, but if you think about farming, uh, that means in twenty years we will have basically doubled the carbon content. I mean, you know, you end up going from a two eight or like Eric, or like uh, Keith has gone from a one eight to a two six. If you look at the data out of the University of Illinois, which I don't have in front of me, but there's really, really good data on percent organic matter and yield potential. And it's, it's, it's not even a straight line, it's more of an exponential line until you get up to about six, 7%. So what happens, Eric, is again, I think you wanna come back to the lender and talk about a plan. And that's why we like to tell people, you don't need to worry about us. We're not very good farmers at all, but our grandkids, you really should worry about our grandkids. We're going to have farms with 50 to 100 bushel per acre higher yield potential with no inputs. <laughs> so I really, I'm trying to add some data to what Keith is saying on a real farm in Indiana. We can show you the soil test from 1994 and from last year. And the carbon's going up, the yield potential's going up, our yields are going up, our, our input. Our inputs per bushel produced continue to go way down. And so how do you compete with that long-term in this business, which we're producing commodity corn? And I think that's that's kind of the strategic. When you sit down with the lender and talk about, okay, we're gonna have a five to 10 year plan here. We're not gonna spend a quarter million dollars the first year. We're just gonna plant cereal rye after corn stalks. And we're gonna come in and maybe put some rapeseed on these really, really hill, hilly fields. So we have a little bit of green growing in May when we get a big rain in Indiana. And see, then you can start talking about, well, if we just save a little bit of carbon here or stop losing carbon here, and then over time that becomes cumulative, you can add some chicken litter into the program or some peat moss, I mean, you can add carbon into it to actually jumpstart it. There's just tons of things you can do, but if you sell it to the lender as a plan, right? We're gonna do this in a systematic way and we're gonna work with Keith and get some good expertise brought to the field level um, I find it very hard for them to turn it down. 
if you're just going to walk in the door and say, I want to spend a quarter million dollars on cover crop seeds. Yeah, they're going to have some real issues. <laughs> but if you talk about this in a systemic, a slow and systematic way, um, because the benefits are there. If anybody wants Keith or I to prove to you scientifically what the benefits are, the data is irrefutable at this point. When we started this, there wasn't any data. Well, we just thought it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. And, and those benefits begin year, year one, as you were explaining to me earlier, and, and you were explaining uh, here on the podcast. Those, those things, you know, there are some, uh, some initial benefits that happen right away, right, Keith? Yeah, there are certainly, you know, like I was talking about from the, from the weed control standpoint, but, you know, for, from a water cycle standpoint, you know, that's huge as well. You know, because you can use cover crops either get rid of moisture or to conserve moisture. It's all about how you manage them and how long you let them grow and when you terminate them and things like that. So again, it it comes back to the management and the manager's ability to you know take advantage of what's out there. But uh, certainly the weed control benefits, the you know the additional nutrient cycling, you can get really kind of crazy. We did an experiment this year on our farm. Last year we we had. Uh, we grew um, spring triticale and we harvested it for grain in July. We came in and we planted uh, hairy vetch and buckwheat together in the summer. We harvested the buckwheat in October and then we just let the hairy vetch grow and then we planted some rye into that as well. And, and this spring, it, it was another kind of a cold, slow spring for us. Uh, so we had to let that uh, hairy vetch really grow out into about the first week of June. But when we went out and we sampled that before we planted, uh, and we planted some of that, we planted to sunflowers and some to popcorn because it was getting kind of late for conventional corn. We had four and a half tons of dry matter and about 200 pounds of nitrogen produced just in that biomass of that hairy vetch rye combination. I mean, it was massive. And so we went through and we rolled that down and we planted straight into it. And we were able to grow those crops with with no additional nitrogen. Uh, we put a little bit on the popcorn, but I don't think we would have needed it. But, you know, so you can you can go beyond just the simple and really start to get those benefits. Cause you know, what's the market value of 200 pounds of nitrogen and, you know, saving some herbicide passes. Cause we didn't terminate it with herbicide. We terminated it with a crop roller that we mounted right on our planter. So again, that's, a, that's an upfront investment in additional equipment. There's no way I would have done that in year one or probably even year two, three or four. But as we got more comfortable with the system, we started adding other things in. It's a little bit like an adrenaline junkie, you know, <laughs> you've got to go out there and take that risk. And then pretty soon, well, that risk that that we know that works, that's not risky anymore. So what's the next thing? What's what's the next thing that I can try? And I know Gabe Brown always says, you know, if they're not failing at a number of different things every year, they feel like they're not trying hard enough. Because if you never fail, then that, that tells you that you're probably not trying enough new things uh, to see what might work. You're listening to the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. And as we wrap things up here on the podcast, something I ask uh, every guest when they come on. And, and Ken, I'll start with you. And I know you've touched on it a little bit already, but I want to ask, what advice do you have for that first time, uh, that, that farmer who's trying to do this for the first time, get into conservation practices, whether it be no-till, whether it be planting cover crops, what's your best advice? So uh, I like to tell people three things. 
Eric. First of all, when you get the three inch rain, put on your boots, walk out to the edge of your field and take a water sample and just stop lying to yourself. Look at how bad it is. All right. I understand at least where I live, this is where all the big money is going. It's going into the Ohio River. Um, so understand just, okay, it's not like we live in this perfect world. We don't live in central Illinois where there's no slope and it rains perfectly every year. We live in Indiana and we get a lot of these <laughs> four inch rain events. And then we have uh, 12 weeks of no rain. So if you capture the whole four inches, you got plenty of water for the 12 weeks, but if you don't capture it, you don't have enough. And so, it, it, so that, the, the first thing is just remember that you're not competing with this media induced perfect cropping system, right? The average yield in Indiana this year is a record yield of 189. So if, if you think that you got to grow 240, well, okay, you're, you're just never going to be successful, right? Or you're going to be depressed your entire life. So, so I think the first thing is just understand that we're, we're fighting against mother nature. We want to fight with her. We want to work with her. So, so just kind of remember that as the baseline. The baseline isn't this perfect image of a clean plowed field because it's not perfect. When it rains, it goes in the river. So I, that's the first thing is to understand that you're trying to manage a system with a lot of adversity. And so you want to be resilient. Um, and, and the second thing we like to tell people is, um, you know, don't put this by, if you're worried about this, I mean, you know, don't put it by the front driveway. I mean, everybody's got a few fields out back that you can experiment with that people have to have a drone to see. So learn back there and then bring it up front. But uh, the other thing is, as Keith is saying, is you know, we really view this uh, as a long-term strategic mindset advantage. Uh, we planted uh, 400 acres of corn this year into prevent plant ground from last year. Our family had never planted an acre, had never not planted every acre from 1869 until last year. So last year was pretty rough weather-wise. We planted 400 acres this spring into what would have been eight foot tall cover crops. And yes, the neighbors thought we were crazy. Average yield on those 400 acres is over 215. Um, with growing huge amounts. I mean, we had to uncover the planter after we planted each field because it was picking up so many sunflower seed tops and stuff. So I would never recommend you do that, but I would also recommend to you that, yes, if you're gonna plant no-till into a field that has poor drainage, you gotta wait and do it May 20th. Our highest yields in those fields don't occur in April. Don't believe the Purdue data. Go to that field's data. You plant those fields after May 20th, and they almost always do really well because you catch the September rain on the poor dirt. So um, I guess, again, from our perspective, Eric, it really comes down to just kind of being systemic about it. Um, understand that, yeah, we're going to have some problems. Our corn won't look as pretty. Maybe June 5th is the neighbors. But, you know, we're not in the pretty corn June 5th campaign. And if you are, I, I don't recommend you do this. It's going to be really hard to, to make yourself feel good. But when you come back in September, uh, you know, and you can't make it across the field when you open a land up without stopping in a drought, then you're feeling up better. You feel a lot better about it. So again, you need to have a little bit of a long-term perspective and, and realize that, you know, your grandfather started learning stuff. We're getting closer and closer to our grandfathers all the time. That's why Keith can do things with no chemicals. 
the end of sitters can farm with no chemicals and grow 240 bushel corn. We're going back to the way our grandfathers did it when they didn't have all this cheap and easy technology. So we think you get back in tune with the soil, give yourself a chance to make some mistakes. Uh, worst thing you can have to do is just have to replant, right? Well, that's not a big deal. You get free replant. So, I mean, it's just, <laughs> again, you can learn, you can make some mistakes, the world doesn't end, but uh, yes, when you make a mistake, you have to recover quickly and make some decisions and start over. And that's what Keith was saying about, you know, you, you want to make mistakes. Um, and the last thing I tell people, the third thing is, and, and, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but I, I really think you need to, to, to just ask yourself, um, what if we're right? What if Keith Burns is right? What if the Rulins are right? And that ultimately they're able to increase the organic matter of their farms by, by, by 50% in, in 10 years. How are you going to compete with us? How, how are your grandkids going to bid against our grandkids for more land to farm? This is what if we're right? I mean, you need to at least honestly ask yourself, what are the downsides to conventional long-term tillage? And believe the data. The data is out there. There's Gosh, Eileen at Purdue and uh, all, I mean, there's just data everywhere on what the long-term downside is. I mean, everyone knows that we have half the organic matter in North America that we had 75, 80 years ago when we went to single crop culture, monocrop culture almost. So I, I just think those three things, you know, try to have some hard conversations and um, we don't have any trouble explaining to landlords why their fields are gonna look a little rough in the spring. Well, we just take water samples when it rains and they feel a lot better about all that roughness. So th those are the kind of the, the three things we like just to challenge people on. And, and honestly, we don't really care anymore if you join us or not, because we, we think we believe we're doing the right thing for our family and our business. And so if you don't want to, we kind of stopped uh, trying to convert people a long time ago. We'll share the data with you and you decide. Keith, what about you? Any words of wisdom? Start simple, start small, but start. You know, if, if you don't at least start on a small field, and, and like Ken said, it, it can be, you know, kind of back behind the house, or if you're like us and really don't care what your neighbors think, you do it right out on the highway, you know, to, you know, you know, boom or bust, we're going to let everybody see. But But you need to start somewhere. You know, we talked about some of the easiest ways to start. You don't have to do that on the entire farm. And and I would totally agree with Ken. Do it on your worst farm. You'll see the biggest improvements on the worst farms. Don't don't do it on the, the field uh, that doesn't need the help. Do it on your worst farm. So start simple, start small, and then don't try to do it by yourself. You know, uh, there's a lot of resources out there, both, both locally and globally, you know, with the, with the internet. I, I tell people all the time, go get a new degree at YouTube University because there's so much good content out there. You can literally watch hundreds of hours of, of you know, top-notch soil health, you know, presentations and videos and speakers that, you know, you could just, you know, literally it's the equivalent of a college degree if you're willing to, to work at it and take the time to do it. But, but then more locally, you know, Indiana is, is in my opinion, it's the envy of the rest of the country. I'm on, I'm actually the chairman of the Nebraska Healthy Soils Task Force. We're trying to put together a, a soil health plan for Nebraska. And one of the things that we look at is 
what's Indiana doing to make themselves so darn successful with their CCSI uh, initiatives and just all the great things that have come out of there. So there are a lot of resources in Indiana uh, that people can draw on if they have questions. Uh, you got great people like Rulons. And what I found is that people that are in this regenerative ag, soil health, whatever you want to call it, they are the most open, the most sharing, the most caring. And like Ken said, they may not be out there beating on your door trying to convert you, but if you go to them, they're, they're not going to shut you out. They're, they're open and they're willing to share because they see how it works. And, and they're just, they're just very generous people and uh, by and large, in my opinion. So start simple, start small, but get started and then don't do it alone. Reach out to all the resources you have around you uh, because that's going to, it's going to give you a much, much better chance of success right out of the gate, not have to take those bumps and bruises right away. Keith, I'll give you an opportunity here to, to plug your website. A lot of great information there as well. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that, Eric. Yeah, we, we, uh, our website is uh, www.greencoverseed.com. There's lots of information out there about cover crops. We have a smart mix calculator. If you don't know where to start, uh, it can kind of help you build a mix. And then I would also encourage you, we've got a lot of good content on our YouTube channel. Uh, we've been doing uh, weekly webinars with some of the top minds in the regenerative ag movement, uh, John Kemp, and uh, we've got Christine Jones coming up. Uh, you can go to YouTube and just search for the Green Cover Seed channel. And, and again, there's hundreds of hours of, of great content out there not only on our channel, but on others as well. So I would check out those two resources. Keith, talk to me about, uh, it's called First Acre, right? Yeah, Eric, what, what we have is, we, we, we have this concept, uh, we didn't invent it, we just kind of took what other people were doing and, and tried to make it better. We call it the Milpa Garden, uh, M-I-L-P-A. Uh, Milpa is a Mesoamerican term that, you know, the Native Americans, you know, uh, centuries ago would have been using and, and it describes a system where they're growing multiple crops together in this big poly, polyculture. Think of the three sisters, you know, corn, beans, and squash, but then they added other things in there as well. So it was more than the three sisters. It was the whole family reunion uh, kind of all growing together. And then they would harvest that for edible food. And, and so we've kind of taken that concept and, and brought it back, and we call it the Milpa Garden. Uh, and it's a, it's a mix that we put together that has some cover crops in it. But it also has a lot of human edible crops like squash and pumpkins and melons and cucumbers and, and then some pretty things, you know, like sunflowers and buckwheat and other flowers. And, and the, the theory here then is that you put that all together and uh, you can also call it lazy man gardening if you want, because then you just go out and you drill it, not across the whole field, but one or two acres. And uh, then you have a, a garden that you can go out and harvest some of this produce in addition to really having a, a big boost in soil health. So we started doing this and we really saw the benefit and the value. And so we've created what we call the first acre program, which if a farmer is willing to donate an acre of their ground and the labor to do it, we'll donate the seed to any farmer who's willing to plant that and have a plan of how they're gonna get that harvested and donated to a community food bank or a homeless shelter or a nursing home, different things like that. One of, one of the great things that we've seen is that it, it's, an, it's also a way to involve community. So you don't have to go out there and pick it all yourself. You know, Have the FFA chapter or 4-H club or your church group you know, they, they love doing that because it's it's like a scavenger hunt out there because, you know, you never know each step. You might step on a cucumber or a watermelon or a gourd or a squash. It, it's just fun. 
And so, you know, get the community involved, glean it, uh, donate it, and uh, we're happy to donate an acre's worth of seed. We're also setting it up this year uh, because as this program grows, it, you know, it gets it gets more and more expensive to do. So we're going to set it up this year to where we're going to allow other people who really think this is a good idea. They can come onto the website. They can pay for an acre's worth of seed and then have someone else plant it and harvest it and donate it on their behalf. So, so we're, we're kind of expanding and moving to where other people can uh, join in. If you're interested in that, we're working on a website. It's not completely done yet, uh, but it's getting there. Uh, it's just milpagarden.com, uh, milpa, M-I-L-P-A, garden.com. You can go there. You can watch some videos about what this process looks like. Uh, you'll eventually be able to buy seed right off that website. Or if you're not a farmer, but you support this type of program, you can go on there and say, I want to buy an acre's worth of seed and have somebody plant it and donate it on my behalf. Uh, so we're, we're in the process right now of I'm trying to buy all my vegetable seeds to put this together. Uh, we're hoping to have seed available to start shipping out late January, early February, uh, and it usually sells out fairly quickly. Uh, so what I would suggest is uh, if you're interested in this program, go to that website. You can sign up to be on a waiting list, uh, a waiting list of when we have seed available. You'll be the first ones to know about it then. And Ken, I'll give you the same opportunity. You've got a website as well. Yeah, Eric, thanks. Yeah, um, it's just uh, www.rulinenterprises.com. Uh, one word, but uh, on, the, on the site, there's a lot of information about cover crops and soil health and drainage, do a lot of drainage work uh, and risk management work. So yeah, just uh, hop in, take a look there. Uh, if you just you want to do a free, there's a 90 day free trial to sign up for a free trial. And uh, uh, that, that gets you linked into the webinars that we have. And uh, like I say, we don't, we, we make an awful lot of mistakes and, and yet we're still here. So <laughs> uh, we, we, it's a pure exchange of the format. So basically think of uh, uh, ag online only you have to you have to uh, be a member, which means we can control the content and keep it kind of clean and positive and, and sharing. There's a lot of sharing that goes on, but nothing nothing negative. So yep. one, one of our one of our webinars coming up, we're going to that Indiana well. We're having both Dan DeSutter and Rick Clark on to uh, to talk about you know what I consider to kind of be the holy grail of soil health, and that's organic no-till. So. Uh, again, great Indiana resources there if people are interested in, in kind of going down that path. Very good. Keith, Ken, thank you so much for doing this and appreciate you being a part of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, thanks. And that does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative with additional support from the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. This has been a production of Who's Your Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.